Peter had known Jesus for three years, but even though then he didn't completely understand him. Every time he thought he had Jesus figured out, Jesus would do something or say something that just puzzled Peter. Now, both men were from a place called Galilee. It's a region to the north of Israel, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, although the two did not meet until they were uh, grown men. When Jesus was about 30, he began traveling from town to town, teaching, healing the sick, and comforting the spiritually troubled. And he made quite an impression. People came from miles away to see him. They were impressed with his miracles. And he spoke with such authority that they concluded that the words he spoke came directly from God. One day, Peter and Jesus had a conversation that would forever change Peter's life. Mark tells us that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's the name that Peter had been given. Peter would later be a name Jesus gave him. Uh, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. In Luke's biography, he adds that Peter and Andrew had been out on the lake fishing all night and had caught nothing. And when they saw Jesus, he told them to throw their nets out one more time. And they, it was really a ridiculous request. But Peter, the professional fisherman, did as Jesus, the professional carpenter, suggested and ended up with the catch of a lifetime. Peter reached the only conclusion that to him made any sense, and that was that this was a miraculous catch that could only be explained by Jesus' power. Peter fell down at Jesus' feet, convinced that he was in the presence of someone powerful and holy. And then Jesus issued an invitation. He said, come follow me. And we're told that Peter and Andrew left everything and followed him. And that's how Peter left a profitable little family business, trading the safety and security of a life that he'd always known for the insecurity of trusting that God would meet his needs and the needs of his family as he followed Jesus. Almost immediately, Peter had another remarkable experience, and this time it came in the midst of a family crisis. Peter received word that his mother-in-law was ill with a fever and was very, very sick. And so at Peter's request, Jesus went to his home. When Jesus arrived, he went in to see Peter's mother-in-law, and it says that he took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Well, that evening, with the news of that healing traveling throughout the countryside, people came from all over asking Jesus to be healed. And so well into the evening, Jesus worked and healed many who came. Peter believed that Jesus' mission then was to heal as many as possible, which is why he was surprised, so surprised by what Jesus did the next day. Very early in the morning before sunrise, Jesus got up and before anyone else was awake, slipped out of the house and went to a solitary place to pray. When Peter and the others awoke, they discovered that Jesus was gone. People were already gathering outside, waiting to meet Jesus for his help. So Peter and the others went to look for him. And when they found him, they were confused why he was praying when there were people who were waiting for his help. What Peter would later realize is that the power that flowed through Jesus came because of his intimate relationship with God. About a year later, a crowd gathered, this time of about 5,000 men along with women and children, to hear Jesus teach. Toward the end of the afternoon, surrounded by all these hungry people, Jesus just casually suggested that the disciples give the people something to eat. And they looked at him like he was crazy. One of them said it would cost about $25,000, money they didn't have to feed all these people. So he asked them, what do you have? And they were able to find five small loaves and two small fish. Jesus then instructed everyone to sit down, and taking the food in his hands, he prayed, 
broke the bread into pieces, multiplying that meager meal into enough food for 5,000 men, women, and children, well, beyond 5,000, um, and they even had food left over. Again, Jesus showed his remarkable power. Peter was impressed, and the crowd was electrified. But Jesus surprisingly seemed a, bit, a little bit ambivalent. In fact, as soon as the meal was over, he told the disciples to get into a boat, to go over to the other side of the lake. And then he dismissed the crowd, and he went up on a nearby mountaintop alone to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples decided they needed to cross this lake. And so it was a distance of about five miles, which would, really would have not been a problem for these experienced and powerful and strong fishermen. But about halfway across the lake, a strong wind blew up. Waves began to, uh, to, to soar over even over the top of the boat. And it made it impossible almost for them to make any headway. Then just about dawn, they saw a figure walking across the lake, and they thought at first it was a ghost, but then they realized it was Jesus. Now, even though the storm continued, that at least gave them some comfort. And that's when, as Jesus approached the boat, Peter made what seems like a strange request. Bold and impulsive, Peter wanted to do the same thing that Jesus was doing, and so he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, sure. And full of faith, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So far, so good. But then he saw the waves and was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. As long as Peter looked at Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he turned away and began to look at the wind and the waves, he lost his nerve and began to sink. As he sank, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt in time, what Peter would learn to do is to look beyond reality, at least what seemed real to him, and look instead to Jesus. The same is true for us. We need to learn to look beyond what we can see and touch and taste and feel and to put our eyes on Jesus and trust him with what we cannot see or even understand. Well, Jesus then climbed into the boat and the wind died down and everyone in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It was sometime later when Jesus asked his disciples a question. He said, who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples said, some say you're John the Baptist raised back to life. Others say Elijah and still other one of the prophets, suggesting people like Jeremiah. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up for the rest of them saying, you are the Messiah. It was a remarkable insight, although Jesus said it didn't come from some inspired intellectual leap. It was something revealed to Peter directly by the Holy Spirit. And then Mark tells us that Jesus went on to teach them that he would soon suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again from the dead. None of the disciples were prepared for this. In fact, they didn't understand what he was talking about. That might be surprising because, after all, hasn't Peter just identified Jesus as the Messiah? But the problem was is that they had many different conceptions, but there was sort of one primary way of thinking about the Messiah, and it wasn't someone who would be crucified on a Roman cross. So when Jesus said that he'd soon be arrested, tried, beaten, killed, Peter said, no way, never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And Peter probably thought that Jesus would praise him for his courage and loyalty, but instead... Jesus rebuked him and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, 
but merely human concerns. Peter was harsh, or Jesus was harsh with Peter, but Peter also seemed to take it in stride. He was learning over time to trust Jesus, even if he didn't always understand what he was expected to. But some of the others weren't so understanding. Now, just to let you know, there were more than just 12 disciples who were following Jesus. There was a, a crowd sometimes of 50, 60 or more people who were coming around Jesus. There was the inner core of 12, but there were others as well. But some of those others didn't understand or weren't so understanding as Peter and the other 12 were. Many of those who followed had very specific expectations for what the Messiah would do. And most thought he would be a combination military general, polished politician, and spellbinding orator. But Peter kept, or excuse me, Jesus kept disappointing them. So much so that on that day, some decided they were done with Jesus. If he wouldn't do what they want, they were out of there. But others like Peter were willing to adjust their expectations. And over time, Peter became more and more loyal to Jesus. Even if he didn't always understand what Jesus was saying, he was learning to trust him. As the disillusioned disciples walked away, Jesus asked those remaining, do you want to leave as well? And Peter spoke up, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So even though Peter didn't fully understand everything that was going on, he was willing to stick with Jesus. Another time a man came and fell at Jesus' feet, asking what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And the man said, I have done so since I was a boy. Good, Jesus said. And then he added, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And we're told that the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And the disciples were sobered by what they saw. Jesus was telling them that it was really hard for the wealthy to give up their money. It was easier, he told them, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Who then, they said, can be saved? Mark tells us that Jesus looked at Peter and the others and said, with this man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter again let his mouth run ahead of his brain and said, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus said, yes, that's right. And no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. Then he finished by saying the first will be last and the last first. Now what these stories show us about Peter is that he could be a handful. He was brash, he spoke his mind, his mouth often moving before his brain had engaged, but he had courage and he was committed. If you didn't know the rest of the story, you'd predict that Peter would be the William Wallace of the disciples, the Braveheart, the one who would be most likely to lead them into battle, which makes what happens next so shocking. Now, I know many of you know how the story ends, and if you can be patient with us, we're actually breaking this story into two. In a few weeks, we'll pick up the results of uh, Jesus' prediction about Peter. But this first part took place during the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, the events that Luke described for us last week. You see, at that meal, Jesus predicted that one of the 12, Judas, 
was about to betray Jesus. And that saddened, deeply saddened, everyone at the table. But then he added some difficult, additional difficult news. In Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, we read this. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. It's a sobering prediction. Every one of them will fall away. But if that wasn't enough, Jesus predicts that Peter would go one step further and deny he even knew Jesus. Now, predictably, Peter was offended. Luke tells us that Peter began by saying, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Even if all the others fall away, I will not. Jesus, again, in Luke, actually repeats the prediction twice, adding greater specificity. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. I want you to think for a moment about what Jesus has just said. First of all, he has predicted that one of the disciples will be a traitor. That's Judas. The rest will desert him and run away. And one more, Peter, will lose his courage and deny that he even knew Jesus. I wondered a bit about what the rest of the disciples thought as they heard Jesus say these words to Peter. Perhaps a few had already wondered if Peter was a bit overly confident, although I also think that many of them were very anxious and troubled. They had their own doubts about how they'd stand up to the pressure. They didn't understand all that was about to happen, and they may have been anxious, but if they were going to bet on anyone of them standing up, they would have bet on Peter. Surely he'd be the one that would stand up to the pressure. Desperate to please Jesus, Peter made this dramatic pledge, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And he meant it. But what he forgot is the traps that life can lay in front of the best of us. He forgot how easy it is to step into a slippery place and fall. And he forgot his own human weakness and the strength of the devil's temptations. Again, I know that many of you know the rest of the story, but it's important for us to pause here for a moment because I believe that Peter meant what he said. He fully intended to be the last man standing. His mistake, though, was believing that slogans and bravado would be enough. So let's reflect on Peter's situation. Why? Well, because every one of us has had our Peter moments, a difficult time when our commitment to follow Jesus wholeheartedly is tested. It may be a temptation that you have faced many times before, but now seems so enticing or overwhelming that you're about to give in. It may be the pressure to conform to the values of those around us, values that violate a direct command in the Bible. Whatever the challenge, it can be easy to become overconfident and assume that we've got it when actually we're closer to collapsing than we think. The disciples, including Peter, had once asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer, although really it's a prayer for us. Uh, for us to use, and begins with our Father who art in heaven. About two-thirds of the way through that prayer, Jesus adds this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's sobering about Peter's story is he had all the best intentions, and yet he still failed. 
So if Peter, who by all measures was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, couldn't withstand the social pressure and stand up for Jesus, how can we? Well, I'll confess there are no guarantees. There's no magic formula. There's no fail-safe way to keep us from slipping up from time to time. But there are some principles that I believe can be helpful to each one of us. And let me give you a few suggestions that people through the centuries have found useful. The first is to be prepared. Because Peter underestimated how hard it might be for him to withstand the temptation. And he learned that lesson the hard way. So many years later, in a letter that he wrote that we have in the New Testament, the book we call 1 Peter, he said this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He makes life sound out like it's a battle and we need to be prepared. When we do face temptation, another lesson is that we need to flee from sin. And this is something that Paul, one of the apostles, would say to his young friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22 when he said, flee the evil desires of youth. And what's important here is that word flee, which in Greek, the language that Paul wrote in, means to run away from vigorously, to turn and go the other direction. But fleeing from sin alone is not enough because we also need to pursue God. So another writer in the New Testament in James, James uh, 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's a mistake to believe that the best way to resist temptation is just to say no. The even better way is to say yes to God. And the final principle, at least for today, is to join with others. In reading this story this week, I saw something I'd never noticed before. and Maybe you saw it too. You know, when Peter makes that dramatic pledge, that William Wallace moment, here's what he says. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter figured he could do this all on his own. So I wonder how things might have turned out if Peter had phrased that differently. What if he had said, hey guys, I don't want to fail Jesus here. What if we all came together, then maybe we wouldn't desert him and I wouldn't deny him. But he didn't. He figured he could be the hero, the last man standing, and instead he was the first to crumple. None of us want to be like Peter and the others, full of bluster one minute and then fail miserably the next. So let's be prepared. Let's flee sin and pursue God and make certain that we are deeply connected to others. And maybe then, things will go differently for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we look humbly at Peter's story. We respect the way that he intentionally pursued a relationship with your son, Jesus. Yet we're also sobered by his overconfidence in the face of overwhelming temptation. Lord, may we be prepared. May we flee the devil and pursue you, finding strength along the way in our relationships with one another. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.